Hello, Kubernetes community, and welcome back to the PodCTL podcast. We're sorry for being a, a day late this week. Uh, instead of Monday, it's coming out on Tuesday, but we think it's really going to be worth the delay. Uh, we have a, a very exciting guest talking about uh, something that I'm pretty excited about in Kubernetes. Before we get started, though, again, yeah, thanks for all the good feedback. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us via you know Twitter, email, and all that information's in the show notes. So Brian, how uh, how's it going? Things are good. Uh, my voice will be a little bad today. I've had this cold for a couple of weeks, so apologize. I'll I'll try not to be a, talk a whole lot. The good news is uh, our guest is incredibly deep in this topic. So we're going to let him uh, uh, most of the talking and all. So our guest today is uh, is Paul Mori, who is principal software engineer at Red Hat. But more importantly, he is the lead of the service catalog SIG within Kubernetes and has been uh, working on the service catalog space, all the work around brokers and all the, the things around trying to make bring in kind of third party uh, services and so forth around this. So that and probably the most recognizable person that you'll see at KubeCon in terms of the bright pink mohawk, although rumor is it that that might change. But uh, Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Brian. Thanks, Tyler. It's actually blue now oh. to try out a, a new color before KubeCon. You okay. know, got to get that Kubernetes blue. There you go. <laughs> Look at him. He's always on brand. That's so, Paul, right. so, Paul, you know, the service catalog SIG has been going on for probably a year or so, but you were working on Kubernetes and things around this area well before that. So why don't you give folks just a little bit of background about what you've been working on prior to this, and then we'll dig into all the uh, service catalog stuff. Okay, so prior to the service catalog SIG and Open Service Broker API, I worked on a, a few different areas in Kubernetes. I've done some work on container security for things like pod security context. FS group feature was something I spent quite a bit of time working on. FS group is a, uh, a special uh, supplemental group that allows you to use a volume in Kubernetes from many different primary UID and GIDs. So if you're running a pod that has uh, has multiple containers that run as different UID, GID combinations. They can all use volumes that support FS Group. So in addition to that, I did a little bit of work on SecComp and Kubernetes, uh, and then a fair amount of stuff with different application configuration primitives. Uh, the first feature that I, that I actually really did in Kubernetes was creating the secrets resource, uh, which I think probably folks have have heard of uh, in config maps, and then a bunch of different little odds and ends back in the early days. So it's been quite a ride in that space. I don't think anybody could foresee exactly how popular it's become. It's been pretty uh, in- incredible to uh, to watch and and see how how everything has has been growing in this space, you know, and and, and the project specifically. Let's go back to the catalog itself. And kind of there was an announcement. I know there's definitely, uh, you know, we've talked about this a little bit offline about that. There's some confusion around between the service broker API, the open service broker API, and the service catalog, and kind of where all that came from. Like, how did that start? Uh, where did that come from? And and how did it? sort of evolved to where it's at now? It's probably good if I start out specifying exactly what the Open Service Broker API is. The Open Service Broker API is an API that service providers can use to provide an endpoint uh, that a platform can integrate with so that users of that platform can provision new instances of uh, some capability, which we call service. You can provision new instances of these things and then bind them to your applications. And example that we always go to for this is like a database as a service. So you can think of a service in the context of Service Broker API as some kind of capability. So database as a service uh, is an example of a 
a service. A service can have many plans, and you can think of plans as different tiers of a service. So maybe I, when I'm just hacking around, I start out on the TIN plan, and that might give me, you know, like a table space and a shared database uh, with, you know, performance characteristics that I need when I'm working on my laptop. And uh, when, I, when I make uh, Hacker News or Slashdot and I want to go up to the Platinum plan, uh, I can do that and get like a, a dedicated database with fast IOPS and performance characteristics. So when I want to use that database as a service capability, I provision a new instance of it, and that gives me a database that I can use. When I want to program against that database and use it in my application, I make a binding to it. And the result of that binding is credentials, coordinates, and config that in the Kubernetes world gets put into a secret that then I can consume in my application file. So where this comes from before Open Service Broker API was known as the Open Service Broker API is uh, it was called the, the Cloud Foundry Service Broker API. Cloud Foundry has a marketplace feature that allows you to provision and bind to services uh, or instances of services. And the Cloud Foundry Service Broker API was in its uh, early V2 days when, uh, as I understand it, there were a number of different uh, vendors that were interested in using the Service Broker API in other platforms besides Cloud Foundry. So in kind of mid to late 2016, I joined the the working group, which I don't think had a uh, particular name at the time. It was just a group of different vendors uh, talking about how they wanted to use this API in, uh, in their own uh, platform, some of which are Cloud Foundry-based, and increasingly in time are based on Kubernetes or a straight Kubernetes play. And I believe it was in October or November, we actually renamed the API to the Open Service Broker API. So there's a number of different vendors and organizations that have been involved in that yeah, that's no, that's great. It gives us a sense of, you know, we've always said that the service broker, the Kubernetes community had the choice of starting something from scratch or looking around at communities and saying, you know, what else exists that also solves the same types of challenges that we have? And, you know, do we really want to start from scratch? So yeah, I think it, I think it definitely helps give people a sense of, you know, where did it come from? So let's build on the example that you talked about where you have an application that wants to interact with the database. The database is now going to look like a service uh, and a service that we're going to bind to through the service catalog. Kind of walk us through the technology of what's going on with the service catalog. What gets exposed through the service catalog? You know, how do those security credentials get created? Is that catalog specific? Is it database specific? Can you kind of walk us through the basics of, of how an application running in a container on Kubernetes interacts through the service catalog? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the story begins with a developer or, uh, you know, there's, there's different use cases where maybe I'm a developer and I'm, I'm literally searching for something that I want to uh, use as a data store, as an example, uh, or maybe I ha- I'm operations and I've already got very specific details about which service and, and which plan of that service I want to use. The interface to the catalog, uh, like all other Kubernetes APIs, is actually the API server. So what, what I mean when I say that is that the catalog is a, it's an 
extension of Kubernetes, but it's shaped very much like the rest of Kubernetes. So the structure is going to be very familiar to people that are familiar with the Kubernetes, very high-level concepts. So there's an API server, and that presents the servicecatalog.cates.io API group. And that API group contains resources for, for brokers, for services, for plans, and instances of services and bindings to those instances. So if I want to uh, locate a service, uh, which we call service classes because service is a very overloaded term in, in the Kubernetes space. So if I want to, to find a service class to use, I can do kubectl get cluster service classes. Uh, they're, they're called cluster service classes because they're not namespaced currently. We'll probably add a namespace variant broker service class and service plan in the future. But I can look for a cluster service class and say, aha, that, that looks very interesting to me. I think I want to use that. And what I can do then is create a service instance resource in my namespace that says, this, this is the name of the service and the name of the plan that I want to use. And backing the API server presents is a controller that, like m many, many other APIs in Kubernetes, is doing the work to actually fulfill the behavior of the API. So the service catalog controller is the process that actually goes and talks to the broker and says, give me the list of things that you provide and then when I create a service instance resource, the service catalog controller sends a provision request to the broker and handles in, uh, communicating with the broker and fulfilling that request. So I make a service instance. The service catalog controller talks to the broker, gets a response back. It might be a response initially that says, all right, it's done. Or it might say, I'm going to work on this asynchronously. Call me back in a little while and see if I'm done yet. And handles all that communication and handles updating the status of the service instance resource so that the user knows what's going on. Yeah, I think I think that's a good start. Let, let me let me ask one question. So so there's the there's the catalog element sure. and, you, and you talked about the broker element. Let's take this database example. So a database could be, you know, MySQL, it could be Postgres, could be, you know, Oracle, it could be anything in theory. Would we expect to see somebody create a broker for each different type of, of database or each different type of service? To talk about before the time when you want to actually provision and bind to something, let's talk about how things get into the catalog. So the service catalog refers to the Kubernetes component that handles the communication between uh, Kubernetes and a, a process that implements the Open Service Broker API. So you can think of uh, the service catalog itself as like a part of Kubernetes, and it can talk to one or more service brokers. So the way that we get service brokers' services into the catalog is we create a service broker resource. It's actually called Cluster Service Broker uh, because it's cluster scope. So we create one of these Cluster Service Broker resources, and that contains information about how to contact the broker. It contains a URL, and uh, you can use a couple different flavors of auth. Uh, you can use basic auth or uh, opaque token auth to talk to the broker. And the catalog controller then hits an endpoint on the broker that gets back 
that broker's payload a list of services in their plans. And the catalog controller then transforms this into a set of Kubernetes resources called cluster service class and cluster service plan. And those resources are what users then look at to find which services they're interested in. So the the alignment of service to broker is that one broker can provide many different services and it's kind of up to the broker author what granularity they want to divide their services into different brokers. So there are probably some organizations that will say we want uh, uh, brokers to be very granular and others that say every single service we want to expose via this API is going to come from a single broker. So there's by no means any prescription for what the right thing is to do there. It's it's really up to you as the broker author how many services you want to expose from a particular broker and what the mix is. Makes sense. If somebody was was thinking about that. So you, you're using the, the catalog and the broker to connect, you know, sort of bind between an application and uh, a service. Again, we'll just keep using this database concept so we're consistent. Is the service catalog or the service broker, are they just sort of in the control path in terms of of provisioning or are they they in any way also in the data path of the interaction between the application and uh, and the database, for example? That's a really good question. And the answer is that they're really in the control path only. To answer this question fully, let me me talk you through what it's like to uh, create a binding. And I think that will be a good illustration of exactly what the broker's involvement is uh, relative to the catalog itself. So say that I've provisioned a new service instance and I want to use it in my application. I'll create a service binding resource in my namespace and part of that resource's spec is a reference to the instance that I want to bind to. And another part of it is the name of a secret where I want the credentials to be placed. So what happens is I create this resource in the API server. The service catalogs controllers watching the API server and gets an event says, aha, there's a new service binding that I need to make work. So the catalog controller then goes and sends a bind request to the service broker. The broker does whatever work it needs to do and sends a response back to the controller that has the credentials in it. And then the controller does the rest of the work to fulfill the behavior of the service binding API resource. And what it does is it places those credentials that it got back from the service broker into a Kubernetes secret and updates the status of the service binding to show that the binding's ready to use. And at that point, I can consume the credentials from the secret just like I would any other Kubernetes secret. So I can I can put it into an environment variable or environment variables rather. Uh, I can put it in a volume, and there's a couple different flavors of volumes, uh, the secret volume and the projection, the, uh, the volume plugin. Okay, it's called the projected volume. Uh, but at that point, it's just another Kubernetes secret to you. So there's nothing special to you as an application author about how you consume this once it's in a secret. And to answer your original question, Brian, the broker's involvement here is just in the control path. So the requests that you eventually make to the service do not flow through the broker. They'll go directly to the instance of the service that you provision. It also kind of explains the next question I was going to ask, which is somebody wanted to do some sort of traffic auditing or anything having to do around that. They're going to be doing that through normal traffic capture, pattern recognition, you know, steps, whatever whatever tools they use to to look, look at traffic they're going to 
use the same things. This isn't like a, a new set of things they have to plug into the service broker to be able to do their, their auditing and compliance stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I'll also add on the auditing note that the uh, the Kubernetes API, or I'm sorry, the Kubernetes service catalog API supports the normal Kubernetes audit function. So you can you can hook the service catalog up to your existing audit that you're doing uh, over Kubernetes API operations. So that's another level of auditing that, that you can do with the service catalog. Very cool. So cutting this in in some more other use cases uh, around the, the catalog uh, and the brokers is at the Red Hat Summit earlier this year, you know, there was the announcement of partnership with AWS and bringing the AWS services to to OpenShift. And that was via the service catalog and, and service broker. And like, as you talked about earlier, the brokers came originally came from the Cloud Foundry project. Uh, and so we've seen those uh, services for, for stuff that's on, on Google and Azure. And, you know, you now you have AWS as well. Are those kind of setups between the services and brokers very cloud specific, or, or is the idea that they'll be they'll be pretty interchangeable, you know, between your Kubernetes environments if you want to have different different services from in your catalog from from different clouds? That's a really good question. So I think that there's probably a spectrum depending on the specific offering that someone might be interested in. So for example, there are probably some services that are more portable, like probably the database nerds are going to be all over me for this one, but you know, a SQL database is likely to be more portable than something like in the MapReduce or Bigtable space. So what I mean by that is there are probably some services that are easier to swap between for users that have analogs that are at least have a fairly broad commonality between cloud providers and some that are more differentiated. And obviously the, the more differentiated ones are going to be harder to swap between. Uh, I'm going to be very very interested to see what happens in the next year because uh, this, the Open Service Broker API is is getting a lot of attention right now. And uh, I know that a lot of folks in the space uh, of cloud native apps are, are interested in portability between cloud providers. I think the other thing you're saying, and you mentioned earlier, there's there's been a lot of interest from, from lots of different companies in working on this. I think you know, regardless of if somebody's interest is in portability between clouds, I, I think we are seeing interest from most of the cloud providers in terms of saying, I, I definitely want to at least expose my services, you know, through through the catalog and through the broker so that people can can easily get to their services as a as a starting point. They may not be super interested in making it, you know, easy for them to leave the service, but they want to at least make it easy for you to get to it and consume and, and integrate with their services. Is that sort of fair from what you're seeing in the community in the in the SIG? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, so beyond the, you know, we've talked a lot, you know, kind of from a mindset of public cloud services, like even you're talking like databases, I think in you know in my head, or, or I think the probably listeners the same way are thinking like, oh, yeah, well, I could, you know, S3 or different like public cloud services. But really, the, like you said, the the brokers themselves, like so the catalog is where you're you're viewing the services and the brokers, you know, make is the wires making those connections. Um, you could, in theory, have brokers to connect to almost anything, right? I mean, it's it's just a uh, create, delete, bind, unbind type type operation. So what are what are some of the other things you could use? You know, via a, via a broker that you could then expose in the catalog. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. So the opportunities for those other use cases are are plentiful, right? So if you think about it, one of the the nice attributes of this API is that it makes the technology that actually provisions the particular services that are exposed by a broker. Uh, 
mostly irrelevant. And one uh, one area that we've seen a lot of interest in is around exposing services that are provisioned by a particular technology like Helm uh, or Bosch in the Cloud Foundry space or uh, OpenShift templates or Ansible, uh, you name it. Like if, if there's a provisioning technology, there's somebody that wants to wrap that technology in a broker so that you can get the benefits of the services without having to care at all about how it's provisioned, uh, which I think is a very powerful idea, uh, especially because, and uh, I hope I hope all your listeners are sitting down for this, but uh, nerds are very opinionated and uh, have their pet technologies that they want to use that maybe not everybody is enthusiastic, is as enthusiastic about as they are. And the, the nice equalizer in this equation is that you don't have to know about those things when you're using the service catalog to uh, to get the services via Open Service Broker API. Well, listen, uh, I'm going to ask you one last question. Thank you for, for everything so far and giving us an update on, on what's going on. Um, <clears throat> I want to let you get back to uh, to writing code and, and working on things. Where is the project? You know, I know from an OpenShift perspective, we've we've integrated it. Uh, you know, it's kind of technology preview in, in 3.6 and 3.7. But where's the project overall? I, I've seen some tweets from you saying that there are releases now available. Kind of give us a sense of where is the community in terms of, um, you know, releases and stability and so forth uh, for the for the service catalog SIG? So that's a really good question, Brian. Currently working towards initial beta release of the, the repo in the Kubernetes incubator organization for service catalog. And just last night, I released the second release candidate. Uh, I think in the next few days or the next week, uh, it's likely that we'll have the maybe one more release candidate and then the initial beta release. So it's pretty exciting for me personally, having been working on this project for a year to see it come to fruition like this. And uh, as far as uh, OpenShift goes, uh, you'll see that that initial beta in OpenShift 3.7. And and one one little thing, um, this is, you know, so you talked about, you know, 0, uh, 0 0.10, uh, you know, getting into beta. This is somewhat independent, uh, obviously, like, you know, it's integrated into Kubernetes, but it's somewhat independent of the releases of Kubernetes. So so people shouldn't sort of say, well, wait a second, Kubernetes is at 1.8, and this thing is at some other number. Like, what do I, you know, like, they're, they're kind of, they're integrated, but independent in terms of releases. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a really good point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. So the initial beta release of Catalog is going to target Kubernetes 1.8. Uh, I think it, it'll be usable with with 1.7, but it, it's targeting 1.8, and we will be able to release on whatever cadence we want. So uh, I'm uh, I think what we'll probably see is that. We get more frequent releases of Service Catalog than than of Kubernetes because it's a much smaller project. But I, I think one thing that'll be interesting is to see what kind of patterns we have around versioning for these extensions to Kubernetes. Um, Service Catalog is one of the first, and so in some ways we're in kind of unknown territory. But I expect that the the pattern that we've used of using a very an architecture that's very similar to Kubernetes overall uh, as being probably the predominant pattern for these type of extensions that we'll see. So I expect in the next year or two we'll have a lot more things that are shaped like this 
And there's probably some developments left to happen about how to version those things and how to specify which versions of Kubernetes they work with that will work out in the community. No, that's excellent. It's excellent stuff. And uh, and congratulations to everybody working in the SIG to, to get this out the door. Like you said, it's been, uh, it's been roughly a year of, of very hard work and uh, a lot of things going on. Tyler, uh, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Like you said, uh, you know, it's a very interesting space. We've, we've talked a lot about you know, where Kubernetes has expanded to support a lot of different application types and breadths of application. I think this is yet another really interesting space for Kubernetes because it allows it to, you know, kind of integrate with with third-party services. But again, it fits into the overall picture of expanding the number of applications and the breadth of applications that you can you can run on Kubernetes and now with Kubernetes. So uh, with that, Paul, thank you so much for for all the time this morning. Um, you know, thank you for, for all the work in, in leading the SIG and um, folks, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, again, sorry for it being a day late, but I uh, hope you enjoyed this one, and we will talk to you again next week. Mm-hmm.